Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, September the 4th, 2022. It is currently 3.43 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, it's well, it's technically now 3.44 p.m. That means I am moving very quickly to the time that I have to load up all of this equipment, pack everything up, drive to the church so that I can be standing behind the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church tonight to work on the book of Amos. So that means I have limited time right now in front of this microphone, but I want to make the most of every second. So let me remind you of what we are doing. And then I've got a, I have kind of an organizational question. Now, I've already asked some people this organizational question, and I haven't really received an answer yet. So I need someone to answer this organizational question, but stay with me here. Okay. Two weeks ago, maybe a week ago, I don't know. Somewhere in the past recently, in the recent past, I started a series asking all of you listeners to give me three things that young people need to be taught today in the church. And the reason I asked that question is we started a review of sermons preached at a youth conference held in Indiana. Now, this conference, according to those of the conference, those preaching at the conference, it's one of the most influential youth conferences in the last 50 years of church history. It is like the youth conference. It's impacting people everywhere. So if that's the most influential, then they obviously know what young people need to hear. They obviously need to, they know what young people need to hear preached. So we started reviewing the sermons. I have been baffled to say the least, but I'm not going to go back through everything. You can go listen to all of those episodes. But last night, in the review of a message, Acts chapter 16 was the text, and there was something interesting that happened in the way the speaker handled Acts chapter 16 that kept me perplexed and kept me up basically all night just going, how, how did they arrive at that? I, I just don't understand it. Not so much in a cr- uh, criticizing way, just in a confused way, and it made me question everything I've ever said about Acts chapter 16, everything, every conclusion I've ever come to in regards to Acts chapter 16, I was honestly and truly perplexed in how he could come to that conclusion. So when I got to church this morning, I decided, you know what? Yes, I'm supposed to be teaching on the book of Jude. Yes, I need to be teaching on the book of Romans. Yes, I need to be teaching on Mark chapter 2 verse 26. But I set all of that aside to dedicate two hours, two hours to Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 20. We spent two hours working, doing basically a hermeneutical exercise on this section of scripture. And to me, I think it was beneficial. Now, I don't know, you, the listener, will have to be the, I mean, you make the ultimate judge. You're the ultimate judge, right? If you think it's wonderful, you listen, you share it with other people. If you think it's wonderful, you may even support what we do. If you don't think it's wonderful, you ignore it, you deleted it, you don't tell anyone else, and you move on with your life. So you make the ultimate, you're the ultimate judge. I hope, I'll say this, I hope that it proves to be beneficial. But here is my organizational question. Those two messages, right now, if you look under our series, The Church and Youth, 
in 2022, the church and youth in 2022, you'll notice that so far we have, well, we have eight sermons. We have Teaching Youth in 2022, Part 1, Teaching Youth in 2022, Part 2, Teaching Youth in 2022, Part 3, Teaching Youth in 2022, Part 4, Teaching Youth in 2022, Part 5, Teaching Youth in 2022, Part 6, and then you see a damsel possessed, Part 1, a damsel possessed, Part 2. And these are the, the hermeneutical exercise through Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 20. Now, the reason I place them in this series is because clearly they were inspired, they were motivated by our review of the, of the last sermon that we're working on, the last session from this conference, that sermon that we reviewed, it inspired these. So here's my question. Should I leave those messages inside of this series? Or should I pull them out and create a mini-series called A Damsel Possessed? Someone's already created the artwork for it. And do we just have it as a mini-series that maybe, because it's its own series with its own unique title, maybe it will draw a lot of attention. And the reason I say this is if you look at the series, The Church and Youth in 2022, the series itself has not generated or garnered near the response that I thought it would. I thought everyone would be like, yeah, I'm interested in what the young people of this generation is being taught. Yeah, I, I, I care about what this generation is being taught. But to be honest, nobody seems to be that interested and no one really seems to care what young people are, are being taught. In fact, the number of people who emailed me with their suggestions of what young people are being taught, yes, no one agreed, but the numbers were relatively small in comparison to other things that I may ask. So there's a part of me that says, do I want those two messages that are very much a hermeneutical exercise through this very important passage of scripture, do I want them to kind of go unnoticed or maybe ignored because people are like the church and youth in 2022, I don't care about that. But if they see a series called A Damsel Possessed, maybe they would be willing to listen to it. And, and I am... I, I think the the hermeneutical exercise is worth everyone's time just because it once again challenges people how to the difference between a sermon versus actually dealing with the text because I am very committed to that 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 a technical difference that that philological difference that that very important difference maybe it's a philosophical difference but i'm very much committed to this idea that the church for too long has been so busy writing sermons that it's completely ignored the text i truly 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 believe this i know that people think i'm crazy but i i am just committed to this distinction and so um i, I would love to get your thoughts what should i do should i leave them here or should I pull them out and create a miniseries called A Damsel uh, a damsel Possessed? It'll only be two messages, but it'll be distinguished from everything else. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, they go with the church and youth in 2022 because this was inspired by the entire discussion. So I don't know. It's an organizational question. You may not care. But I do care because I, I'm always trying to figure out what's the best way to organize our content, right? We have so, I mean, we have so much content. If you take all of our content together in just three years, we've produced well over 3,000 episodes. 
We're talking about a thousand episodes a year is what we've been averaging. That's an insane amount of content. And that's an insane amount of content that in many cases, 48 to 72 hours, maybe a week after it's posted, it's forgotten because the way most podcast apps are structured, right? It's like people could scroll down and try to go all the way down to the bottom and find. I don't know how many people do that. Oh, look. Oh, let me go all the way back to the beginning of this podcast. No, I think they're just like, you know, they're just going to go back a few episodes maybe. I, I don't know. You can tell me what you think. But uh, I'm always finding ways to try to organize, organize our content on whatever platform we can so that the older stuff is not completely ignored. At least I, I try. You, you can tell me what you think. So that's just kind of a organizational question. Now let's do this. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We spent two hours on this this morning. But Acts chapter 16. Here we go. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. All right, I'm going to walk you through this just a little bit. Then we're going to go back and complete this sermon review because we didn't finish it. We, we, he kind of gave us his basic reading of Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 20, or at least one section of it. And that, that's where we stopped the review. So we need to complete the review today. But I, I want you to just kind of see what we've talked about briefly this uh, morning and afternoon. Here we go. Acts chapter 16, 16 verse, starting in verse 16. And it came to pass, we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Now, I'm not going to go review everything that I talked about this morning and this afternoon. You should go listen to those two messages, a damsel possessed. We took this apart, but let me just point out a couple of things really quick. The sermon we are reviewing, they titled the sermon something like Satan's Hope or Satan's Hopes, and which is, I, I already found it somewhat baffling because how did you come up with that title? For a section of scripture where Satan is not even mentioned, and when hope is mentioned, it's not referring to Satan's hope, it's referring to the hope of this damsel, this slave girl, her masters. So I was already baffled by how they came up with the title. I use the title, A Damsel Possessed, because, well, that's actually literally in the text, all right? Now, that doesn't mean anything, but I just like, I think our titles have to try to capture the essence of the text. I just think that's, that's, that's from Bible study methods that, that think that's important. Um, so we see that she's a slave girl. She's possessed by a spirit of divination, which basically is a form of fortune telling, which uh, was leading her masters, meaning she had masters, she was a slave girl, uh, to bring much money, which I think that fact is the hermeneutical key. You can go back and listen to our exegetical work today. Now, I'll keep reading. So here's the slave girl. And in uh, verse 17, or yeah, that's verse 16, verse 17, the same, this demon-possessed girl, this damsel who is possessed by the spirit of divination, she followed Paul and us, and she cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. And we spent hours this morning, two hours working on this. Why is she following them? Now, according to the sermon we're reviewing, she's following them because Satan wants her to follow Paul and, and Silas. He, Satan is the one motivating her. Satan is the one saying, Go follow them because Satan has a plan here. Satan has a scheme here. So Satan has her following, and then she says these words. These men, referring to Paul, Silas, 
These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, according to the sermon we were reviewing, he wants her to say this because this is what she's telling everyone. She is there to tell everyone, follow Paul, don't follow God. That what she's trying to do is, is that Satan says, okay, what, this is basically how Satan viewed the situation. Uh-oh, uh-oh, how can I keep people from salvation? I'll use this demon-possessed girl. I will have her follow Paul, and I will have her scream out these words about Paul and that he's bringing the way of salvation because it will get people to follow Paul and not Christ. Now, I really do not know how you read the text that way. I gave you all the hermeneutical reasons why I read it in a completely different way, and you can go listen to that, all right? So all of that's there for you to listen to. Please go back and listen to those two messages from this morning, A Damsel Possessed. So that's his approach, that this entire thing is Satan working through her to get her to try to convince the people they should follow Paul and not Christ. I do not know how you arrive at that from the text, I do not uh, I do not understand how you arrive at that conclusion from the context. I, I don't I don't know how you arrive at that conclusion. But I was baffled by it, but we've already addressed it, so I'm not going to go into great detail here. The job now is just to finish this review. I have backed up the sermon about 2 minutes to try to provide some kind of context, but whenever we have to break the reviews up, please remember there's no easy way to ease back into it. There's no easy way. Basically, you have to just walk. I, I always say the same illustration. You have to walk to the edge of the pool and just jump in. So we're just going to jump back in, but that kind of puts it all together. Here we go back to Indiana from just about a month ago at what they claim is the most influential youth conference in the country. And according to them, Acts chapter 16 is a story of a young girl motivated by Satan to try to get people to follow Paul instead of Christ. I don't really see how that's anywhere close to the text, but let's see how he takes that concept and expands it and what else he does with this text. Here we go. And I want you to listen to it because... I believe with my whole heart that this is the reason why we are, have seen the struggles of this generation that we're seeing. The first hope of, of the devil we see in this story is here, verse, verse, found in verse number 17. It says here, the same... Please note, the first hope of the devil. I do not know how this text is supposed to give us the hope of the devil when the only time the word hope is used in the entire text is referring to the hope of her masters. The hope of Satan is never mentioned. And I, and I just, I cannot stress this enough. So much of preaching is where the preacher comes up with an idea, a concept, a thesis, a message, and simply imposes it on the text and imposes it on the text in such a way that it convinces everyone that the idea comes from the text. But this idea does not come from the text. This text does not give us the hope of Satan. It gives us the hope of her earthly masters. It, it is bizarre that he uses the word Satan, which is never mentioned. He uses the word hope, which is specifically attached to the masters. You don't believe me? Here we go. Acts chapter 16. Um, let me find it here. And uh, verse 
19, uh, Acts 16, verse 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone. I don't know how this is being imposed on the text. It is baffling to me, but this is such my problem with so much of preaching. We want sermons. We don't want to actually study the text and people are more than happy to get a sermon. As long as they get their nice little sermon, three points, a good, a good intro and a good conclusion. They're more than happy. and They could care less if they ever actually understand the text. I, I know my criticism is not widely accepted by most, but I am going to continue to scream it from the rooftops. And maybe someone somewhere will go, you're right. Sermons, in many cases, keep me from the text. In this particular case, these young people are not getting to Acts 16. They're getting his his message, which is this text teaches us Satan's hope. I know, no, no, this is not teaching us Satan's hopes. This is not. He followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High, which show unto us the way of salvation. You see, Satan's hope is that we would follow man, but not the God of that man. I want you to see that with me. This, this, this damsel, possessed damsel, is following the man of God. And I want to say, Paul, what a great, amazing Christian. I don't know if there's been another greater Christian. From- now, before we, list, before we listen to this, let me state this. He makes some excellent points, but you need to hear what I'm going to say. Sometimes as pastors, we make excellent points. The problem is, it's an excellent point not derived from the text. And if in a sermon, you give everyone an extra point, an, uh, an excellent point, that's not necessarily derived from the text. How excellent is it if you, because in a way, your point is keeping people from the text. His, what he's saying may be accurate and true as far as, yes, maybe there's a problem that sometimes we follow men and not God. That may be absolutely true, maybe absolutely accurate, but how wonderful, how great of a point is it if it actually keeps you from the text? Because I don't think the text has anything to say in regards to that point. See what some people are like, oh, the point is so good, but it has nothing to do with the text. So you left with a good point. You didn't leave with an understanding of the text. And now you're going to take that point and impose it on the text and think everyone and tell everyone that text teaches that point when it actually doesn't. Um, Jesus Christ this way. G- uh, Paul, the great preacher of preachers, the, the, the powerful man of God, the Apostle Paul, wrote most of, uh, of the New Testament, started so many churches. What an amazing servant of God. This demon-possessed girl was following Paul, but never followed the God of Paul. And that is exactly what's happening in today's generation of young people. We, we have so many Christians that are, that are sidetracked, that are away from God's will, that are discouraged, that are hurt, that are out of church, that are blaming uh, others and criticizing fundamentalism. And- now I would just ask you this question. Do you think one of the major issues with this generation of young people is that they followed man and they didn't follow God? I would say this generation is the most least likely to follow man because this generation seems to be the most questioning of authority and the most questioning of institutions. 
most more skeptical about authority in institutions. Not, I don't see this generation's problem is that they follow man. I see this generation's problem of they won't listen to any man other than themselves. I mean, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he's making a major ass- assessment of this generation and he's making a claim that the, the problem with this generation is they followed men and not God. Maybe. And preachers as a whole and attacking Christianity because someone hurt them, because someone failed, because someone uh, betrayed them, because somebody was a hypocrite, because the, somebody got caught doing something bad or, or was, uh, was a pervert or was a, uh, a thief or what have you. And, we, and these people that n- never learned to follow the God of man, but just followed man, now find themselves discouraged out of the will of God, uh, criticizing everything and everybody because their hope was on the man instead of the man the god of that man you see this is the subtle way the devil works he makes you look at man and be be wow look at man and wow what a preacher and what my youth pastor there's nobody else like him and and my pastor and, and i'm thankful for godly leadership and i'm thankful for good men and praise the lord for them we ought to follow their lead as they follow god but i'm thankful that i had a pastor that taught me love and respect and honor the men of god but don't ever reverence them don't ever put them on a pedestal because men will always fail you but god will never fail you i'm just curious is is this what young young people in 2022 need to know don't follow men i'm i just feel that if there was ever a generation to rise up to be less like we're going to question authority we're going to doubt authority we're going to stand against authority and we may rebel against authority and we question authority and we, we don't trust authority. I think that this generation is more prone to that. Maybe you could go in the 60s where the people were no longer trusting the government. Out, out of, if you go from Vietnam to Watergate, that during that period of time, there was such civil unrest. The, you had the civil rights movement where we're going against the authority on what they were saying about civil rights and race. There, were a lot, there, was, there was major upheaval, which they seemed to call into question institutions and authority. Well, then you can kind of see how things played out from maybe from the 60s and the 70s all the way into the 90s. There, there was a little bit well we could get into what young people were doing there i just see this generation is even being more so because of the internet and so many other things they they can kind of establish their own authority based on their own websites or tiktok or whatever they're they're getting their information from i just i just don't think the young people in the church their greatest danger hey what this is what this explains all the problems with young people they keep following people but at the same time they're like but they're leaving the church well, are, so you're saying they're leaving the church because they've been following people. Are they leaving the church because they reject the people, reject the organization and the institution? Because we have some studies that seem to indi- indi- indicate that many young people today who profess faith in Christ, who would say they're followers of Christ, who are interested in theological, spiritual things, want nothing to do with the church. So I, I'm, I'm perplexed that his philosophy is the problem is they're following men when all of the studies I've seen in regards to young people is like, no, Christ is okay. The church is trash. I see the opposite. 
So now they're, they're supposedly the experts on youth culture. They're, they're, they're supposedly the experts. You can tell me what you think. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm rejecting his authority here because I just don't think he has a correct understanding of young people today, at least based off what I have read. Now, maybe the research I have read is greatly inherently flawed. Therefore, my conclusions would be flawed as well. I just... I don't see that, hey, man, what we got to get, we got to get young people. We need to have a meeting. Stop following people. Stop, 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 stop reverencing and, and almost worshiping your pastors. You need to stop doing that. I, I, the young people are leaving the church in droves, yet still claiming faith in Christ. You, you, you have to explain that to me. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 19, that Paul learned this very lesson after many had betrayed him and left him. And he even named some of them. And he, he said out loud, those that had betrayed him and that, those that were a hindering to him and a, a danger to his ministry. But then he says at the end, but thank God the Lord stood by my side. You see, every Christian needs to learn this lesson, so important lesson to to not just follow man, but learn to follow the God of that man. So just make sure we understand. According to his theory, Acts 16 is teaching that this, this woman possessed by a devil was going and saying these wonderful things about Paul because what she was attempting to do, she was following out the sinister plans of Satan to get everyone to follow Paul instead of following God. Again, I don't believe that has anything to do with the text. I don't think that's an accurate reading at all. I don't even understand how one could come to that conclusion. But then he takes from that supposed reading of the text, and then he claims, okay, young people, here is, your, here is the issue with all of you. You're following men. Follow God. I, I'm, I'm baffled by that. If you, if, I mean, you know, the young people in your church, what do you think? You think that's the number? Do you think that, where does this show up on things? Young people need to be taught. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. I, I would really be interested. Hey, do you think you have a problem with, with following spiritual leaders more than God? I would think they would probably be like, I don't trust any spiritual leader. They're all trash. They're all garbage. None of them are trustworthy. I don't even trust the church. I don't trust any of this. I think that that would be more of their first reaction. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it tells us about carnal Christians. A carnal Christian church, how they had favorites amongst each other. And, and some wanted to follow Apollos and some wanted to follow Paul and, and some Jesus Christ and some this. And they had differences and they had division among them. Why? Because they were carnal Christians. They had their eyes set on man and not the God of that man. The Bible says in verse 4, that chapter, 1 Corinthians says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. You see, who are we really but sinners saved by grace? 
Instruments in God's hands. And the sooner you learn this, you see, men of God that we find in the scriptures, they too had leaders that failed them. I think of uh, Joshua that had Moses, that he went with him all the way through the desert, preacher. All the way, but then Moses failed just right before the end. He let his temper get the best of him. His emotions get the best of him. And he could not go into the promised land along with Moses. I'm sure Joshua said, wait a minute. I've come with you all this way, Moses. I came with you all this way. I stood next to you when no one else stood next to you. But he had to detach himself from Moses and put his eyes on his God. I think of Samuel that we just heard about. That he had an Eli, a pastor that failed, that he had a terrible family, that his children were hypocrites, that they were false, and they died, and then he died, and he lost the presence of God over the people of God. Yet Samuel had to pick up the pieces and continue to serve the God of Eli. You see, you, what I'm trying to tell you is that we've, we have all seen great men of God fail. Yes, there are false uh, people, yes, there are preachers that maybe are good Christians but had a weak moment or failed, and yeah, they're not perfect. But we serve a perfect God, a faithful God. Listen to here. This point right here is very important because you know it to be true that there's a bunch of people attacking and criticizing. And there's podcasts that all they do is criticize and attack and look for every single moment and opportunity when another one bites the dust, when another one falls. They and they say, you see, they're all the same in Christianity and fundamentalism. It's just not good no more. But let me tell you and remind you that all men can fall, but God is faithful and true. What I would like to hear discussed is why on one, like this, this is the thing that blows my mind about the church, right? On one hand, the church says, everyone is a sinner. Everyone can fall. And, and that everyone will fail and everyone will sin. At the same time, we, we can't seem to handle failure or sin when it happens from a pastoral standpoint. I'm not saying we should excuse it, but it never seems to be the place where we can be like, okay, look, we're all sinners. We all fail. We all fall short. Now, what, what do we do when the sin occurs? It's go, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Look, it's either happening publicly or it's happening privately, but sin is occurring. So why can't the church be more open and just saying, look, you're struggling. He failed. Okay, we're good. We're, that we just, maybe we don't want to admit how widespread it is. But every time it happens, it's just gigantic scandal. People's lives are destroyed. Someone, there's got to be, con someone's got to pay. Someone's got to pay consequences because it makes us all feel better. But rarely is it a place of grace, mercy, and restoration. But it's a place of condemnation, crucifixion, and execution is really what it becomes. But that that's a whole different case. It, it just, I, I, I'm, like he's, he's, his point is, Hey, don't follow men. Now his point is, but all men are failures, but there's no way, there's nothing given. And how we process that or how it should be processed in the church is like, hey, you see those, those spiritual leaders, they're going to fail you. They're going to let you down. Now, when they fail you and let you down, it should be scandal. It should be news and people's lives should be destroyed. Almost as if it's a shock and it's a surprise. I, so is it a shock and surprise? Or is it just the reality that everyone in this building, everyone in whatever church you sit in, they're all sinners. And there's sin happening openly. There's sin happening privately. There's sin happening in action. There's sin happening in thought. 
There's sin happening in action. There's sin happening in desire and motivation. There, sin is happening. All right, but let, let's, let's go. Let's continue. He has never failed you and never, never will fail you. I am probably fail you. Pastor Brown will probably fail you. Brother Judah will probably fail you, but God will never fail you. Oh, if we can get hold of that truth, because that's Satan's hope. That you will put your eyes on man and not the God of, of that man. Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Peter failed the Lord when he took his eyes off the Lord. It was a chronic problem that he had. Even towards the end when God called him back into the ministry, yet he still had that problem in him. He looked at John and he said, what about this guy? You see, if you're not careful, you'll never get anywhere where God wants you to get if you keep putting your eyes on man instead of putting him on God. John said it best when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus could not do much miracles when he visited his own country. Why? Because they couldn't get over the man. They said, is not this the carpenter's son? They couldn't see beyond the man. Wouldn't that kind of go against your point? They weren't following the man. They were rejecting the man. But I guess you could say they couldn't see beyond the man. But now some of the points he's making here are maybe even considered excellent. They just have nothing to do with Acts chapter 16. Nothing to do with it. So my question is, if this point is good, but it doesn't come from the text which you claim it came from, then how good is the point? All they thought is, man, we used to play ball with Jesus. We, we grew up with him, and there's no way that he is the Savior. There's no way we got to come calling on him. They, could, they didn't have the capacity to see beyond the man in front of them. And that is the problem of so many Christians. We get stuck looking at the failures and, 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 and sins of the people instead of looking at the God of those people. Well, I hope you're listening, because that's Satan's hope. Number two, Satan's hope is that we would exclude ourselves from the message preached. I want you to see it with me in Acts chapter 16, verse 17. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She was preaching the gospel. Here, 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 follow me here. She was preaching the gospel better than most of us will preach it. She was proclaiming the truth. Now, wait a minute. Your first point is that what she was doing was getting everyone to follow Paul. Your second point, coming from the exact same verse, is no, she wasn't trying to get people to follow Paul. She was actually preaching the gospel. How can it be both points from the same verse? And now I'm totally perplexed. So according to his preaching style, that the first thing she was doing was saying, don't follow Jesus, follow Paul. But in the very same words, she was also saying, follow the gospel. Well, wait a minute. So was she telling people to follow Paul? 
or was she telling people to follow the gospel? Because those are mutually exclusive, right? Those are not the same thing. How can she be in the exact same sentence saying, don't follow God, follow Paul, but then in the exact same sentence say, follow the gospel and that she's preaching the gospel better than most of us. How can she be preaching the gospel so perfectly yet telling people to follow Paul and not the gospel? So how can she be preaching the gospel perfectly if her message is don't follow the gospel? And everyone is just sitting there saying, amen. How can you say amen to this? It's contrary. I don't even know. Okay, now, 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 now. Now I've gone beyond now frustrated. Now I'm just now getting irritated. Okay, now, now this is where I start getting very bothered. Because now it's not even making any sense logically. Not only is it making any sense hermeneutically, it's not following according to his logic. On one hand, she's preaching a message saying, don't follow God. On the other hand, she's preaching a message that proclaims the gospel better than most of us. How can in one message she is trying to accomplish both, which would be actually completely contradictory to the other? You can't preach the gospel if you're telling them not to follow God, but to follow man. But if you're telling them to follow, if you're preaching the gospel, then you're not telling them to follow man. You're, you're pointing them to the gospel. So which is it? He, he doesn't hear the, con- the inherent contradiction. I mean, this is like logical inconsistency. All, this is lo- logical fallacies. All, I am so confused now. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say because you know what, you know, this is what's happening. He's not taking his points from the text. He's imposing his points upon the text. I've been guilty of this. I am not standing in judgment of this. I'm saying I don't understand it, but at the same time, I'm acknowledging I've been guilty of it. But just because I've been guilty of it, I can't just simply excuse what's happening here, but this is just This is so just, I don't understand. But yet, she was saying, which it says, which show unto us the way of salvation. It was a message that she was quoting and saying, but it was never for her. It was always for others. Achan excluded himself from the message of Joshua. So she was excluding herself from the message, even though she says us. Maybe, all right, and this goes back to my rendering of the text, maybe her masters have her preaching this message so that she can continue to practice her divination and make them money by associating herself with Paul and not looking like she's hostile to the message or that she's opposed to the message, but she's in agreement with the message and that I'm just like the rest of you. I think Paul's serving the most high God. I believe he's preaching the gospel. And when you're done listening to Paul, please stop by. We're giving a 50% discount today on, uh, on fortune telling, right? Like to me, this is a meth. This is she, what she's doing is in order to preserve her business model. But he's, I don't, I don't even understand that on one hand, she's preaching a message saying, follow Paul. On the other hand, she's preaching the gospel correctly, but she's excluding herself, even though she literally uses the word us. 
and thought he can get away with sin, and he destroyed his whole family. Saul excluded himself from the, the, the message preached by Samuel that they should not touch any unclean thing, and yet Saul uh, ended up uh, uh, disobeying the Lord and thinking that he would do it better. And Ananias and Sapphira excluded themselves from God's uh, 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 will, and everybody else surrendered everything that God told them to surrender except them. They thought they were the exception. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, the Bible says this, And take heed to yourselves, lest any, at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Paul told Timothy this way, he said this, Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. Now let me just make something clear. When you're preaching a text... And you kind of just use the text and then spend most of your time just running rapidly through cross-references that really have nothing to do with the text. You're not preaching the text. He's not dealing with Acts 16. He's not dealing about with an inherent or, you know, logical consistency. He's not dealing with the actual text. He's not dealing with the issues within the text. He's not even trying to identify the hermeneutical key within the text. He's abandoned the text and just go cross-reference after cross-reference after cross-reference after cross-reference after cross-reference after cross-reference, making you think that it's all biblical, but none of those cross-references is the, in any way, shape, or form, even tried to connect to Acts chapter 16. He's just like, well, see, there's a similar point. Because you impose the point on the text. Your point doesn't come from the text. In fact, your point contradicts your previous point that you just said from the text. I'm so confused. I am so confused. All right, let's try to finish this. Be doers of the word, the Bible says, and not hearers only. Follow me here. Satan's hope is that you would exclude yourself from the message preached. That you would just fall asleep. That you would just ignore enough that you would say to yourself, well, let others go forward and commit themselves to purity and to not playing the dating game. I'm just fine just the way I am. Satan's hope is that you would say, let others surrender to full-time ministry. Let others give their life. I'm so thankful that at age 17, God called me to the ministry and I surrendered and let all my plans behind me. And I surrendered all and gave my life to I would not change that for anything. I can't, I, I can't but to tell you that Satan's hope is that you today, right now, you would exclude this message preached. And all these messages that will come to you by way of God, that you would exclude yourself saying, well, I've heard it all. You know, I'm just waiting to hear so-and-so because he's my favorite. I have no idea what literally any of this has to do with Acts chapter 16. Literally have no idea what any of this has to do with Acts 16 because he's not preaching Acts 16. He's preaching a predetermined topic imposed upon Acts chapter 16. Just like Satan's hope. You keep putting your eyes on man. Hey, look at me. You keep putting your eyes on man. Keep doing that. That's not going to take you anywhere. But discouragement, failure, So many people are out of the will of God because of Satan's hope to exclude themselves. You know how many people exclude themselves from the message preached? Leaders do it. Pastors do it. Assistant pastors do it. Pastors' wives do it. Young people do it. We all have a a weakness to think that this message is not for me. Let me remind you that this message is for you. Don't close your eyes and ignore the message. 
God is trying to speak to you. Satan's hope, number three, is that we would just make a lot of noise but accomplish nothing. Notice, the Bible says she cried. She cried. That means she was yelling. She was yelling. She was, she was all just bothered. These men are, are the servants of the Most High. They're showing to us the way of These men are the servants of the Most High. They're showing to us the way of These men are the Most High. It's just a bunch of noise. But nobody, even though she was preaching the gospel, and she might not have been aware of it, nobody was crying and coming and saying, what must I do to be saved? Nobody was coming to kneel and say, Lord, save me. She was preaching the gospel, but nothing was happening. And that's it, Satan's hope. She was making noise. She was preaching the gospel. Nobody was getting saved. She, she was just making noise. And, and now somehow this is, this, this has nothing to do with the text in any way, shape, or form. He's not even bothered to ask the question, why was she following Paul? Why was she saying what she was saying? I mean, he tried to answer the question, but he didn't even deal with the actual textual evidence that would seem to imply why she was following and why she was saying what she was saying. This is just, he's just now making stuff up from the text. He's just not, no, he's not even making it up from the text. He's made up stuff and he's forcing it into the text. The text is not saying these things. That we would be just a bunch of noise, but nothing's happening. Boy, there's a lot of noise in Christianity. There's a lot of Christians that know and have talent and can sing and can serve and can do and do this, but nothing's really happening in their life. I don't ever want to be just a bunch of noise. Paul said it when in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said this, and have not charity, I have become a sounding brass, a, think, a thinking symbol. Lot was just noise to his, to his son-in-laws. When he went and told him, hey, let's go, let's go, we got to get out of here. They probably said, what? Lot? You're a hypocrite, Lot. What are you talking about? Get out of here. Was he a hypocrite or was he a righteous man? New Testament says he was righteous, but was he a hypocrite? Can you be righteous and be a hypocrite? I don't know. I got questions about that story, but okay. But admit, I mean, he's spending so little time in the actual text and spending other times in all of these supposed cross-references that will raise other questions, but okay. I I mean, I I digress. Let's just, we got to finish this. Here we go. You're just as bad as all of us. And they didn't follow him out of there. I think his lot was just a bunch of noise. Listen. It was a bunch of noise, but he was righteous. Was he right? I got questions. That's Satan's hope. You ever think of that? Isn't there just a lot of noise in Christianity? A lot of talented, talentful people. We wish we'd have just an ounce of their talent. There's young ladies that have voices that you're like, man, I'm so thankful that, that the world has not discovered them. Young men that are just so sharp and smart and witty and and have so much talent that can preach better than any preachers that I I know. But they're not doing nothing for the Lord. They have not the power of God in their lives. They've seen nobody get saved in in months and in years. They're not being used. Hey, let me ask you, when's the last time God used you to bring forward someone that was lost and got saved? And then you saw them go in believer's baptism and you watched them grow and discipled. And now... Please note how it works. You lead them to Christ because God's giving you power. 
See, if people aren't getting saved, it's because you don't have the power of God. If you get the power of God, boom, people get saved. So the problem why people don't get saved has nothing to do with their supposed free will, clearly has nothing to do with the sovereign will of God. Now the reason people don't get saved is because I don't have the power of God. If I got the power of God, I could overcome their libertarian free will, which would seem to indicate they don't have actual free will, or I could move the sovereign God to save someone that I choose to save because I have the power of God. What does that even mean? Hey, young people, if people aren't getting saved because of you, it's because you lack the power of God. You need to get the power of God, then people will get saved. Or, you know, you need to learn some manipulative techniques so that you can manipulate people to say a prayer so you can convince yourself you have power which you don't actually possess, other than the fleshly work of human manipulation. Oh, that... That irritates me to no end. Like, that doesn't fit any theological category. Like, the reason people don't get saved is because we lack the power of God. If we have the power of God, then we can overcome their free will, or we can make the sovereign work of God save people. That is a, I don't even know what theological category you put that in. The lack of salvation is now your fault. People don't get saved. It's your fault. You're to blame. So you look at the millions of people who are lost. The reason they're lost is because Christians don't have the power of God. Because if we had the power of God, people around us would get saved. That that destroys the doctrine of free will because I can overcome their free will by the power of God. And that destroys the sovereignty of God because now the sovereignty lies within me. If I will obtain the power of God, I can walk through places and people will get saved. What 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 a theological camp do you even put this in? They're sitting next to you, maybe down the aisle, and you can point to them right now and say, by God's grace, I remember the day that I met up with that person and, and he got saved, and now look at them, they're right here next to me. By God's grace or by God's power that you have. Because you had the power, other people in the church didn't have the power, so that person got saved because of the power of God that you got. And how did you get that power? Did you do something to obtain said power? So is it really God's grace, or is it God's power that you have the ability to wield, and so now that's why people get saved? Like, you, he, he has just blown up every theological category. He's blown, he's created an entire concept of evangelism that, well, kind of like the charismatic power evangelism just done a little bit differently, but okay. But we're just a bunch of noise. We love the spotlight. We love the attention. But there's nothing happening through our lives for God. Nothing. Young people, I challenge you to go back home and fill up your youth ministry. Ask for a bus and say, Pastor, give me a bus. But by God's grace, I want to fill it. God can use me. Give, give me a classroom. Empty. I'll paint it. I'll clean it. But by God's grace, I want God to use me. I don't just want to be a talent. I don't want to just be filling the schedule in a, in a service and seeing a special. I want God to use me. What does any of that have to do with Acts chapter 16? Absolutely nothing. You're not preaching Acts chapter 16. You're destroying the text. You're abandoning the text. You're rejecting the text. You're not even, why did you even use Acts chapter 16? It would have been better for you to just say, I have a philosophy about what Satan hopes to accomplish. And here's what Satan doing. And not even quote a text of scripture. 
I would have more appreciation for that than this utter, utter disregard for the word of God. He's not preaching Acts 16. He's not dealt with one hermeneutical issue that arises from Acts 16. He's not even tried to address it. He's not dealt with it. He's ignored it. And he's created a sermon in opposition to it. But nobody cares because he's got three points. He's preaching your typical sermon. As long as you follow the template and you preach sermons, people will love you. You blow up that template, people get upset with you. Satan's hope is just, just be noise. And I'll close with this last point. Satan's hope is that we would continue this same way and just let time pass. The Bible says there in verse 18, and this did she many days, many days. How many days? I don't know. Jonah let three days and three nights go. How many people went to hell in those three days? Because he just let time pass. People went to hell because Jonah. Man, I want you to understand the psychological, how psychologically messed up this is. Hey, you spent three days. You weren't following God. You weren't using the power of God. You were off watching Netflix. You were off talking to somebody and you were wasting time. And people went to hell because of you. People went to hell because of you. You're responsible for people burning in eternity. You are. You're guilty. Your fault. Now, first of all, that's utterly ridiculous if you believe in libertarian free will because I can't overcome someone's free will or their will wouldn't be free. So that's, that's number one. Number two, if you believe that salvation is the work of God, then you can't believe me. Do I believe we have a responsibility to preach the gospel to everyone? Yes. But people's eternal destination cannot be determined by me or my failure. That, that just, oh... There's some major theological issues going on here. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, the Bible says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 12, the Bible says, And that knowing the time, that now is a high time to awake out of sleep. For now, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Literally nothing to do with Acts 16. Literally this has nothing to do with Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is not even serving as a pretext. I don't even know why Acts 16 is the text because he's just got points that he's imposing on Acts 16. You see, we have to redeem the time because the days are evil, the Bible says. How many more days must pass? How many more weeks? How many more months? How many more years? How many more conferences? How many more counselings? How many more cries from your parents, from your pastors, from your youth pastors? How many more messages must we hear until we behold? Now is the day of salvation at hand. 
Don't you see it, young people? Don't you realize how soon Jesus is coming? Don't you see the wickedness and how they mock Christianity and how they mock the Bible and how they're coming after Christians and the beliefs of the Bible? Don't you see the wickedness? Don't you see TV? Don't you see the, the corrupted politicians? Don't you see the lies? Uh, don't you see the wickedness, the pornography, the music, how wicked it's become? Don't you see how desensitized Christianity is in today's society? These are all signs of the end. These are all signals that Jesus is coming soon. He could come tonight. Tonight, he can be the rapture, and it's done. And then after the rapture, everything takes off. The seven-year tribulation and a, and a curse that comes over this world. And maybe some of us here are going to stay around for that kind of thing. Because you keep thinking that you have time. Brother Judah, they keep thinking, uh, I, I just, I'll keep... Literally, this has nothing to do with Acts 16. Literally nothing to do with Acts 16. He has completely abandoned the text. He's just making stuff up at this point. Now, he may be saying things that, I want to make sure you understand. He may be saying things that may be accurate. He may be making points that you think are wonderful. But how wonderful is the point when it's the point is given at the expense of the text? Do you want good points or do you want the text? I'll keep just ignoring this convicting voice in my heart and I know God's calling me but I just I have my plans and I, I want to make some money there's nothing wrong with that but I, I want to do this career and I just know let others go I, oh I'm okay with that I'll, I'll just make a lot of money they say and I'll just send to the mission field as if God needs your money as if God was waiting all eternity for you to be birthed and for you to make the difference financially in the mission field. No, he... I love how Christians say, God doesn't need your money and we need you to give your tithe each month. But God doesn't need your money, but we need you to give to this ministry. God doesn't need your money. Well, I know this. I have a lot, this podcast requires lots of financial commitment, right? There's, there's commitment connected to it. When we give books away, like we did recently, there's financial commitment. I know this, that God supposedly doesn't need your money, but I've yet to see money just rain down from heaven. So God, doesn't God use the giving of people? So does then God need someone's money? Like exactly how does that work? I, I went out there trying, God doesn't need anybody's money. But then if no one gives their money, then the ministry doesn't survive, right? This podcast doesn't survive without some money. Things have to be paid for. So like, how does that work? I don't know. Needs your life. And Satan's hope is that you keep ignoring the message and say that's for somebody else. While Jesus is at hand. Oh, as twinkling eye, he's coming. Look up at the stars. Look up. Because he's coming. And all this is going to be much more than just an illustration. And just stars and all this stuff. No. Jesus is coming soon. And those that believe in him and that are saved are going to go with him up in the clouds. And, and forever be with him and with the Lord. Satan's hope is that you would take just what I just said and dismiss it. And let continue the days go on. And you leave this conference the same way you came. This is Satan's hope. 
question. I wonder if Satan's hope is that when preachers preach, they lead people away from the text instead of leading people into the text. Because I know one thing about this youth conference, those young people did not learn anything about Acts chapter 16. That's not an opinion. That's an absolute, undebatable fact. This is Satan's hope, not mine. This is not a criticism towards you. I'm not attacking you. I'm just simply telling you, in this such small story, if you look carefully, you can see these examples in this demon lady that we never hear about her again. No, you can look at this story and you won't see one thing you've heard preached because none of it came from the text. But this was Satan's hope. Just like she meant everything to these men and got so upset when they, Paul stopped it. The devil is super upset. He has been working overtime in your life so you won't interrupt his plans in your life. Because he's using you, you see. He's pushing you. He's using you. Satan is using saved people. I mean, that, that's a whole theological question in and of itself. How much can Satan use a saved person? Because we belong to God. We're God's child. So God just loans out his children to Satan for them to use? How does that work? To be a stumbling block to others. To be indifferent. To affect negatively the work of God. And this is Satan's hope. I hope you'd listen. Father, please bless the message this morning. There you have it. We're at an hour, so I don't have time to review. I don't have time to go back over all of that. You've got plenty to work on on all of this. I would challenge you to go listen to our two-hour-plus work on Acts chapter 16 from this morning called A Damsel Possessed. Both messages can be found on any podcast app. Easiest way to find it right now is on the Church One app. Currently, those messages reside in the a series that we have currently called. Let me find it really quick. I want to make sure I give you the right title. Currently, we are calling the series where these messages uh, reside, The Church and Youth in 2022. If you go to the Church One app, that's Church O-N-E. Download the app, search for Theology Central because it's a an app used by many broadcasters. But once you type in Church, or once you type in Theology Central and choose us, it becomes the Theology Central app. And then you can find all of our content. But um, if you uh, go to the Church and Youth in 2022 series, you'll see the two messages, A Damsel Possessed, Please listen to those. Please, even if you think they're horrible, please give me your criticism. Oh, but I think we did a very good job on taking the passage apart. We may move them into their own series, a mini-series, with just those two messages. Um, I've So far, no one has given me an answer. I'm still waiting for an answer. I'm going to continue to bother people until I get an answer because I don't really know what to do. But please go back and listen. And you may want to go back and listen to Teaching Youth in 2022, Part 6, where the review of the message we just completed started. We spent over an hour working on it in the first and two hours of exposition on Acts 16 today, and then another hour this afternoon. That's, a four, that's easily four plus hours on this entire section of Scripture 
meaning that we obviously did as much work as we could in a very compressed period of time that I think should challenge you about hermeneutics, theology, Bible study, and sermon analysis. I think there's a lot we covered, and hopefully you found it to be beneficial. And if you do find anything we do beneficial, not only would we love you to, I don't know if you have the Apple Podcast app, leaving us a five-star review, that's always great. If you're using the Sermons 2.0 app, please leave a a positive comment, that would be great. Um, And just mainly share it with people who think are like-minded who would possibly benefit from the things that we're trying to do. But there you go. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on the air at 6 p.m. Central as we work on our observational reading of the book of Amos. Please tune in. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.